They yeah. took over the All bridge. Right, we're recording. Couldn't even yeah. get into Canada or out. Wow. It was insane. <clears throat> it was loud as hell, too. Let's do this. Okay. You got one of these, or do you know it in my heart? Oh, I got it. Okay. You guys ready to get started? All right, guys, we always start this, open this meeting up with a set-aside prayer. If you do not have one, uh, come and see me after the meeting, and you can take a picture of this one, and I'll make some more copies. Dear God, God, please set aside everything I think I know about myself, this book, my disease, these steps, and especially about you, dear God, so that I might have an open mind and a new experience with all these things. Please, Please help, help me see, see the, the truth. truth. Thank you. I'd like to welcome everyone to the purpose of this book, Big Book Study Meeting. My name is Mark. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Mark. And I'd like to introduce our co-chairs. Hello, everybody. My name is Minor. I'm still an alcoholic. Hey, Minor. David, alcoholic. David, alcoholic. We record the audio of these meetings and upload them, usually within a day or two. Please mute yourself if you are on Zoom. This group meets twice a week. Come to both if you can. We are at different parts of the book. Uh, the first one is at Tuesday night at the Fox Valley Fellowship Center. That's at 710 Orchard Avenue. And we're, we're on we're, uh, chapter seven, working with others. Okay. About half a dozen pages in. And then obviously tonight, Thursday night, 6 p.m. at United Methodist Church, 219 Hale Street in Plano. And we, were in, we are in the doctor's opinion. We start this meeting with two quotes about the purpose of this book, which is the name of our meeting. From the forward to the first edition on page Roman numeral 13, to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. And from there is a solution on page 20, doubtless you are curious to discover how and why in the face of expert opinion to the contrary, we have recovered from a hopeless condition of mind and body if you are an alcoholic who wants to get over it, you may already be asking, what do I have to do? It is the purpose of this book to answer such questions specifically. We shall tell you what we have done. Kyle, you want to read the preamble? Uh, yeah. How about if you come up here and I got it on this piece of paper and... Right into this mic so the people online can hear you too, please. Right here, Kyle. Thanks, Kyle. Hello, I'm Kyle and I'm an alcoholic. Hi Kyle. Hi Kyle. This is the AA Preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of people who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requir requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Kyle. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, Kyle. Kyle. At this time, we'll pass the basket, reminding us of the severed tradition that we are self-supporting through our own contributions. It's going around. Are there any AA announcements tonight? How about AA anniversaries? Mm. Uh -huh. mm. Jennifer. Hey everyone. Should we come I'm up? Hey, Jennifer. 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 
Monday, I gratefully welcome the 11 years of Brian. 11 years for Jim. Damn those Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> Inside joke, sorry. Any others? All right. This meeting is to study the program of recovery in the big book. We read and emphasize the instructions, promises, prayers, questions, warnings, and other important information. We believe that we cannot get well unless A, we know what is wrong with us, B, what is the solution to that problem, and C, what is the action to get to the solution? Fortunately, the answers are in the book. We're not experts and none of these thoughts are ours. Everything we share has been given to us from the fellowship. The big book was written a long time ago and there are some unfamiliar words. As needed, we will give the definition from a big book dictionary. Please ask at any time for us to pause and look up a word. And tonight I would like to introduce our dictionary person. My name is Jamie, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Hi Jamie. Jamie. Welcome Jamie. If you have questions, please ask at any time and we'll do our best to answer. If we don't know or the question is off topic, we promise to get back to you after the meeting. Occasionally we'll check in with the group to see if anyone has comments. Please keep any comments tightly related to what we are talking about today. Please save comments until we specifically ask for them and then come speak into the mic so the people online can hear. Awesome. All right, we'll get started with the reading. Um, David is gonna start us off. Yeah, so we're picking up in the doctor's opinion on Roman numeral 29, which is XXIX, right in the middle. The paragraph begins with, men have cried out to me. Um, recap, anything? Just to, just to refresh you where we're at, this is the doctor's writing. He's, he's writing all this for us here. This is not Bill's writing. Okay, so last, last week we got through about three paragraphs, which was awesome. We really pounded this to some of the best content in the book. So we're going to... It's going to be two, two pages off. So it's going to be X, X... Uh, v I I, 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 I. It's gonna be <laughs> nineteen. Be twenty nine. Roman numeral twenty nine. Oh, that's we are on twenty nine. The fourth edition. Yeah. Oh, then third edition. Twenty seven. The other way. Yeah. Go the other way. Twenty seven. Yeah. Because the third X, edition. X, X, v, I, I. Yeah. Because the third edition doesn't have the two pages that are the forward to the fourth edition. Right. 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 There we go. Simple math. <laughs> what it is in Except my study we edition. couldn't do it. We'll yeah. Exactly. It yeah, we'll forget it. Exactly. Simple math that I can't do. All right, everybody ready? All right. Men have cried out to me, so me is Dr. Selkworth here. Men have cried out to me in, in sincere and despairing appeal. Doctor, I cannot go on like this. I have everything to live for. I must stop, but I cannot. You must help me. Faced with this problem, if a doctor is honest with himself, he must sometimes feel his own inadequacy. Although he gives all that is in him, it is often not enough. One feels that something more than human power is needed to produce the essential psychic change. Though the aggregate of recoveries 
we've got a bunch of big words in here, mm -hmm. re resulting from psychiatric effort is considerable. We physicians must admit we have made little impression upon the problem as a whole. Many types do not respond to the ordinary psychological approach. So words like, uh, what do you think, aggregate? Do you yes. have that one first? Yes, I do. Aggregate, uh, uh, total, sum total, total amount of things gathered or collected. Hmm. And uh, might as well do psychiatric. Psychiatric? Yes. Okay. Please. Don't know. P S Y. Okay, thanks. So the, if the doctor's really being honest, he can't help. This is the spiritual. This is not therapy. It's not something the doctor can fix. This is a spiritual. It has to be fixed with the spirit. Something spiritual, and we call that a power greater ourselves, God. So you want psychiatric? Please. Mental, of related to or by psychiatry or psychiatrist. I think it's also important to remember at this point that at this point in history and in this town's hospital we're looking at the desperate the extremely sick the the alcoholic that is very different than the alcoholics we see in the room today they are very very close very near death physically emotionally mentally and certainly spiritually very low bottom drunks very low bottom so he gives all that is in him, talking about you know uh, being a doctor and other doctors. It's often not enough. And and this is again, this is the doctor writing. This is David just reminded us. This is not Bill Wilson who's you know interested in talking about the spiritual solution. The doctor saying something more than human power is needed to produce the essential psychic change. And we just underscore that because think about how pivotal Dr. Silkworth was at the beginning in really helping us understand the problem you know that led to the solution. And so the aggregate, you know, aggregate is sort of a mathematical term. Again, it must be math night. The total is so what he's saying. The total of recoveries resulting from psychiatric effort is, is considerable. It's a lot. We physicians must have made, we've made little impression on the problem as a whole. So they have helped a lot of people, but they see how huge the problem is, uh, was, and is. And then many types do not respond to the ordinary psychological approach. Yeah, notably the real alcoholic, right? And we're going to start to get into uh, pretty shortly some different kinds of drinkers. But so fundamental that everything we read about in this book, the problem, the solution, and the course of action is about the real alcoholic that suffers from the threefold disease. Not just hard drinkers, not someone who suffers from one or two parts of the disease, but all three parts. May I read the um, definition of psychological, please? Absolutely. As it's used in that sentence. Yeah. Um, of relating to psychology, of, from, relating to, influencing, or intended to influence the mind or emotions. So I can sit on the couch and be in therapy for years and years and years, and they may work on it, they might give me... Uh, ways to live my life, you know, ways to help me with certain conditions, and, but the bottom line is it's not going to fix my alcoholism. He's talking about here that uh, the problem as a whole, the problem as a whole is we're talking about the craving, we're talking about if I, if I have an allergy to alcohol, I break out in craving, 
and the alcohol, so if I had an allergy to peanuts, I would have an allergic reaction to peanuts. Would I, with my own human power, be able to control that allergic reaction? And the answer is no. So that's the easiest way for me to look at the, that approach of the one form of the disease, and we know that abstinence, abstinence would be the way not to break on a craving, but because of the mind, I can't do that. So as a whole, and what leads the whole train and drives the whole train is the malady, that spiritual sickness that makes me think I need something for the ease and comfort that we just talked about the page prior. And if I don't find the ease and comfort in something spiritual, I'm going to drink again because my mind, and the word psychic means mind, the mind needs to change. So the psychological approach means I can lay on the couch and talk about it until the cows come home, but it's not gonna fix what's wrong with me, the spiritual condition. And then the mental, and that's how we get well. We get well through the spiritual, the, the spiritual malady gets straightened out, then we straighten out physically and mentally. That's how the book later on tells us about. I can't help myself. We were talking before the meeting about not jumping too far ahead. <laughs> I can't help myself. Um, so last week I had said at the bottom, at the end of the first paragraph, you know, there's very little hope was recovery. I said, see page 27. And so I'm just gonna bring page 27 up again here. If you wanna make a note, um, because this paragraph ends with many types do not respond to the ordinary psychological approach. And the reason why this is also relevant to page 27, when we get there, is because there's a story of another doctor, Dr. Jung, Carl Jung, who worked with an early member before he was in AA. And he's really, page 27 really outlines how we get better, how our, we have a spiritual solution, and, and then uh, our thoughts, our feelings, and our, our attitudes change. But the doctor points out in working with this guy, Roland on 27, he worked with him for a year. This guy went to Switzerland for a year and, and, and worked with this doctor and he still couldn't keep him sober. All the laying on the couch and all the exercise and the water therapy and all the other things. And how many of us can relate to that? Didn't we try everything else before we finally, AA is always the last stop. When, when someone comes to AA early, I'm like, man, are you lucky to stick around? always less talk because I'm like man anything but AA right I'll do religion you know I'll get locked up I'll get you know uh, prescriptions I'll do anything anything but AA but this is the one thing that works and the two doctors use different terms uh, Carl Jung used vital spiritual experience and uh, Dr. Silkworth uses this uh, psychic change and they both mean the same thing and this is what must happen for us if we're to recover and what's fun too, I'll say one more thing about this. We think about the history of it. We talk about, oh, Bill and Bob, they were the founders. You know, Bill had sort of figured this out and carried the message to Bob and the group from there, and it's true. But the more we read the book, and everybody likes the history because it's kind of fun, people were figuring this out a little bit here, a little bit there, right? Like Dr. Silkworth had figured out the disease, but he didn't understand the program of action or really the solution. Dr. Jung, all by himself alone had worked with other alcoholics and he figured out that the vital spiritual experience was a solution but he didn't understand the disease and he didn't understand the action to get there and then you had the oxford group that had figured out well we do these steps and it gets us to be sort of a good christian right that was their aim and people are sort of better healthier and that it all sort of coalesced you know and, and you think about the coincidences seconds and inches joe and charlie talk about what it takes for everything to come together to get all packaged up for us this way. You know, which is very cool, I think. Mm -hmm. I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism 
is entirely a problem of mental control. I have had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months in some problem or business deal which is to be settled on a certain date favorably to them. They took a drink a day or so prior to the date, and then the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests so that the important appointment was not met. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. So everyone's done this, I, I would assume. I'm just assuming they took a drink prior or, or so to the date that was very important to them. And I remember I had one instance where I knew I was getting drug tested the next morning, and I went out and drank and drugged that night. <laughs> it's like, people looked at me like, are you freaking insane? <laughs> like, why would you do that? I didn't have a choice. Remember we talked about no power, no choice, no control. I'm in the grips of this disease. I don't have the power not to do that. And he's touching on the two folds of this disease just in that paragraph alone. So most people would consider that insane. So I would ask the group this question. I always ask the group this question during this part of the, the book. Write down, if you want to write down, just write down three of the most insane things you've ever done in your life. Just write them down on a piece of paper and then share, somebody in the group share one of them. And I'll, t I'll tell you what the most insane thing I've ever done. Somebody shout one out. Just what's shout one what's out. the most insane thing you've ever done? Fall asleep in a house I broke into. <laughs> That's <laughs> the benefit of everybody online. Drop the mic. Kyle <laughs> fell asleep in a house he broke into. Yeah. Very insane. What else? Who else did something insane? Come on, everybody here. I know a lot of your stories. Jen, anniversary girl. Uh, well Through custody proceedings, showing up to court drunk or hungover. Yeah. Insane. I got right. a good one. Um, name is Jay. <laughs> it's, it's a good one. Um, uh, I, my daughter was in gymnastics at the time for the Tavia Flippers years ago when she was uh, like 10, 11, 12, 13, whatever. And I was drinking at a bar um, and I was drinking gin and tonic or vodka tonics, which I don't normally drink, but for some reason that day I was, and I couldn't stop. I just couldn't stop. Of course. So somebody drove me to the high school where she was performing and competing. And I walked into the gymnasium at Patavia High School and fell right in the middle of the gymnasium mm -hmm. floor. So all those stories are Great true, right? Those are the circumstances of our drinking. But I will tell you that the most insane thing I've ever done, I did stone cold sober. And that was pick, pick up the first drink. Because once I pick up the first drink, I set that cycle in motion that once I start, I can't stop. I have to know this. 
This is what we're outlining in this book right now. We're outlining what happens to the alcoholic once he takes the first drink. And what happens prior to the first drink is the mental obsession. And he is touching on the mental obsession here just a little bit. I have to know both parts of that. Page 44 asks them questions. I have to know that. I have to, I, we could go there. Let's just go to page 44. We, just we, to back up what David's saying, Jamie, Kyle, Jen, after those insane things you did, yeah. did you pick up another drink? Of course. Mm -hmm. Stone cold sober, in the face of consequences, you drank again. Yeah. So I'm going to read the first paragraph on page 44. We're in uh, We Agnostics. In the preceding chapters, you have learned something of alcoholism. We hope we have made clear distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. Here's, here's the statement, and we're going to turn it to a question. If, when you honestly wanted to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or, and it's not or, if when drinking you have a little control over the amount you, you take, you're probably alcoholic. So turn that into a question. David, once you, you uh, can you honestly take a drink and quit entirely, or, this is both, if when you're drinking, do you have any control over the amount that you drink? And the answer is no. Then you're probably alcoholic. That is a great way to look at that. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Another question, statement to turn into the question. David, do you believe that only a spiritual experience can conquer this? Because if I can come up with one more idea on how to stay sober, I'm going to try to pull it off. And that's how I landed in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, because I couldn't come up with one more unsuccessful idea. And I came in here and surrendered. That's how this works. Jimmy, could we look up phenomenon? Mm. Yes, phenomenon. The experience, fact, exceptionally rare or unusual fact or event. And I think they referred to it as a phenomenon back then because they weren't clear as to really truly what it was. Mm -hmm. um, when you listen to Joe and Charlie, they explain how fortunate we are to be living in the, the, the period of time that we're, list, that, that we're living in and how now we know how pro alcohol is processed through our system. And it, it truly is for the alcoholic, it is processed through our system differently. Mm -hmm. And I can't go into the great detail that they do, mm -hmm. but it's, it's a great listen. Um, and they explain it really, really well. There are many situations which arise out of the phenomenon of craving, which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. Guys, the supreme sacrifice means suicide. And sadly, I've known many people, you know, in the coming on 18 years I've been around committed suicide. A member of our Saturday morning group, not even a year ago, Steve, mm -hmm. committed suicide. All right, my best friend from college, early in recovery, committed suicide. Um, Man, we're always getting excited and talking about how great this life is and how great the solution is, but we got to be reminded of how serious this problem is. This thing's a killer. Yeah. And, and David brings up a good point, how great life is. We're not talking about externally. 
I'm not talking about the, the amount of money I have in my pocket or the kind of car I drive or the house or what it looks like. I'm talking about internally. Something has changed. I have to have that vital spiritual experience. If, if I don't think that's the old, if I think there's one other way to do it, I'm going to seek it out, I'm going to do it, I'll be unsuccessful. I know the truth from the false. So internally is what we're talking about. Again, this disease is internal, and so is the solution is internal. It's nothing to do with the conditions or the circumstances in my life. That's not what makes me an alcoholic. And the circumstances and the consequences were never, never ever powerful enough to keep me sober either. Mm -hmm. Because I've sworn off a million times and I could never stay sober. And I had every good reason. And people would look at me with, like, why, why, are you, why would you do that again? And then the day that I knew I had to take that drug test and I showed up, I lost my job. Because mm. it wasn't the first time I did it. Then I got to go home and tell my family, I don't have a job. So my father-in-law said, then why don't you just stop drinking? <laughs> Isn't that the most reasonable question in the world? I don't have an answer for? We're having answers in this book. Problem, solution, practical program of action throughout this whole book. A, B, C, every single time. Every time. We don't have to wait and read three chapters later if I know what the solution is. Mm. He gives it to us right away. Mm -hmm. He's told us a million times psychic change. He's a vital spiritual experience. Carl Jung. Personality change sufficient enough to recover from the disease. They all mean the same thing. So if we go back a couple paragraphs, what happens once we, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. Mm. The only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. There it is, right? And how insane is, is this sentence, right? I'm going to drink to overcome the phenomenon of craving. Mm -hmm. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. Mm -hmm. that, that's insanity right there. The first drink is to escape. Mm -hmm. This is what I was talking about last week. I want the effect produced. I feel horrible. I want to take the edge off. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as I start, it, it eludes me. The sensation's elusive, and the craving takes over. And I'm just feeding the beast. The classification of alcoholics seems most difficult and in much detail is outside the scope of this book. <laughs> and none of the early matters, you know, personal opinion, right? There are, of course, so there's going to be five types here, guys. Here's type number one. There are, of course, the psychopaths who are emotionally unstable. Yeah. We are all familiar with this type. They're always going on the wagon for keeps. They are over-remorseful and make many resolutions, but never a decision. You have a psychopath or we come back to you? No, come back. Okay. okay. So that was type number one. But what's the decision that they never make? The third step. Turn my will and my life over to the care of God. Roland Hastert did the same exact thing every single time. If I don't make that decision in three, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, then I'm managing my own life. The first step says I'm powerless over alcohol, dash, and then the second part of the step says my life is unmanageable. I have to understand that I have to hit two bottoms. First about alcohol, and then the life, the, managing my own life on my own free will doesn't work. I make a decision to turn my will, and Joe and Charlie say that's the best for me, my thinking and my actions over to the care of God. He's managing my life today. God manages my life. 
I have you know, a definition. I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mark. I can feel my stomach turn just thinking about that, thinking about the over-remorseful and thinking about going on the wagon street. I think about looking my wife in the eye with letters that I have written, tears rolling down my face, mm -hmm. and I assure you as well, as, as, blue, as the sky is blue, I'm done. This was the last time. I love you. I love these kids. I promise. And you meant it. I meant it. You betcha. You betcha. Okay, so the defini definition of psychopaths. Those with an antisocial personality disorder manifested in aggressive, perverted, criminal, or amoral, not caring about right or wrong, behavior without empathy or remorse. Hmm. Kind of like the char character <laughs> <Wow>. Tony Soprano. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't care, right? I mean, it feels like, you know, I had a dusting of that. And certainly, according to the big book definition, I was that guy. Here's type number two. There is the type of man who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand or his environment. So first of all, everybody relate to the psychopath? We feel like they were a psychopath for at least a little while? Yeah? Seeing some nods? How about that one? How about type number two? Anybody feel like... Oh, yeah, unwilling to admit you couldn't take a drink, oh. planning the drinking, oh, I'm going to switch from scotch to bourbon and set and the other, I'm not going to drink at this seedy bar, I'm going to go to the fancy nightclub. Right. Don't challenge me. <laughs> Here's number three. There's the type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. Oh man, I was this guy too. Mm -hmm. I was so convinced. So convinced. But you know what happened when I was having a period that I wasn't drinking? I was smoking weed the whole time. Or if I wasn't drinking, I wasn't smoking weed, I was doing coke all the time. Or if it wasn't coke, it was ecstasy. It was something like, but I thought, oh man, I'm gonna get tired of whatever the latest thing is and then I'm just gonna be done. Never happened that way. I always came back to the booze. Yeah, so this type here, is the guy who stopped for a period of time, right? So there's two kind of drinkers. There's the chronic drinker, the one that can't stop no matter what, never took a breath, just continue to drink. Then the periodic drinker that could stop for periods of time. But the one thing that they have in common is once they started drinking, can they control the amount that they drink? And once they stop, could they stay stopped? No, the periodic drinker couldn't stop because he wouldn't have started again. Right. So he's still alcoholic if he takes a drink and breaks out in craving. So chronic and periodic, just because I don't drink every single day and to oblivion, even though that's how my career ended up being, I'm, I could be an alcoholic if I had those two things. So give me five days off drinking, you're gonna see the angriest person you ever saw. Yeah. And then, and everyone has heard this story, and then my wife is gonna beg me to drink again. Talk about insane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I went to a meeting one time and, the, and I was new in sobriety and the guy said, my wife is so pissed off at me, she bought me a bottle of whiskey and she said, you need to drink this tonight. <laughs> I was like, wow. what does yeah. that mean? She's the meanest person in the world. What I found out is what Mark described right there. I'm worse when I don't drink. I'm mm -hmm. not better because of the malady. Yeah, especially at the end because I have all these problems piled up on me. And once I sober up, I, I have to, they have to appear, you know. They keep me from sleeping. They keep me from focusing. They keep me from doing anything normal. Irritable so I rest. drink to be normal, then that's not normal. It's called irritable, restless, and discontented. Yeah. 
Here's the fourth type. There is the manic depressive type, who is perhaps the least understood by his friends and about whom a whole chapter could be written. <laughs> that chapter has never been written, just so we're clear. Here's the fifth type. And again, these are not the only types. These are just examples. Right? There's dozens or hundreds of, of types. Then there are types entirely normal in every respect, except in the effect alcohol has upon them. They are often able, intelligent, friendly people. I circled that. I thought, that's, that one's me. That's definitely me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not true. All, and David said this in the beginning. I relate to all five of these types. And as David pointed out, there's many, many types. It's an infinitive. But I just happen to, and the next paragraph is going to tie it all together. Yeah, what part of life was I in? What age was I? What other stresses, mm -hmm. right? And I became one of these, and, and was one of these types for a while. Okay. Most importantly, guys, all these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This is the common symptom. Cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. So when you go to meetings and somebody says, just don't drink, you go to meetings. <laughs> That's not what this is saying. I'm gonna need something spiritual to straighten me out. And don't look to shoot the angles. Just because you went out one time and you didn't drink to oblivion or you didn't have a blackout, you're still experiencing the craving. You just got lucky that night. Yeah. Ask ourselves, right. yeah, on the balance, what did my drinking career look like, especially the longer I went, the older I got. Right? Those times of having a couple of beers or having a half a dozen are fewer and fewer. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy. We said manifestation is like another word is result. And so the result of an allergy which differentiates these people, that's us, and sets them apart as a distinct entity. Mm. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar, permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. There's something like 20 uh, FDA trials going on right now for pills that are supposed to help with the cravings that we experience. That's the last part. I will never have a problem with craving if I don't pass a drink past my lips. Where's the 20 pills in, in uh, testing that's going to give me a spiritual solution, right? It's going to make God present in my life. I don't think they're going to be able to develop that one, at least not in our lifetimes. The craving is what typifies us as a drinker. That's what we're talking about just to this point in the book in our reaction to the booze. But that's at the end. That's the last part that happens is a breakout in the craving. I got to be thinking about what to do to cessate the stuff before that. Can I ask a question? Yes, question, Jen. Obviously, the only relief we have is to suggest entire abstinence 
but but the illusion, the insanity, at what point did they note science made one day accomplishes but hasn't done so yet? Yeah, so Jen's question was related to this only relief way I was suggest entire abstinence and it's sort of referring to more about alcoholism, right? <clears throat> um, what point that happened historically, like in the writing of the book, the development of the program, is that what you're asking? Yes. I would say sometime between 1935 and 1939, you know, mm -hmm. by the time this book was published. Yeah, don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Say the question again, please. I don't know if I'm, okay. <laughs> if, if I okay. Really I, I think she's saying, how did we get to the leap from saying the only relief we have is to suggest entire abstinence, right? right. To what's said in more about alcoholism, the opening reading about science. Where is this? Science may one day accomplish this but it hasn't done so yet, making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. I mean, if anything, I feel like maybe those statements are sort of in line with each other. Because it's kind of saying the same thing, which is that all Dr. Silkworth knew was, if you don't drink, if I don't drink, I'm not gonna break out in craving. And I guess all they're saying here later, 30 something pages later is, yeah, you know, maybe science will, will be able to figure something out, but it hasn't done so yet. And I think it goes to my comment, which is, the bigger problem is my spiritual life, which is null and void, right? So. And I remain convinced of that. And, and I'm not even thinking about the scientific possible solution. I, I, you know what, I'm full out believe in this, that this is the only answer for me in this book. I don't care what science says. It's, it's a result oriented. Right. Very important because some treatment models don't recognize this mm -hmm. solution. Right. Right. And because of the God reference. Right. And, and it's, it's. I'm starting to run. I'm yeah. starting to run into people at Gateway who are bringing up mm -hmm. alternatives, even though I'm there representing AA. We don't have a monopoly on recovery. Right. right. If somebody can figure out another way to, to get and stay sober and to mm -hmm. have a fulfilled life and be solid internally and so that all their external things are better, God bless. You know, right. The, the, this is the this is the problem, the solution, and the course of action according to AA. Mm -hmm. Right. There are other recovery outfits that um, probably think about it a little differently. Um, but part, go ahead. part of my recovery program is an open mind, something I never had before, and a live and let live attitude. That's what I've learned here. That's what I hope to not forget here. But our first scientist, God bless you. our first scientist, the doctor. You know, just a page ago said, one feels that something more than human power is needed to produce the essential psychic change. And so it argued that, you know, medicine is human power. Okay. This immediately precipitates us into a seething cauldron of debate. Well, there you go, Jack. Right? All you had to do was wait one more sentence. Right on cue. Yeah. That's your answer. Much has been written pro and con, but among physicians, the general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. 
I think we've looked up Doom. I think we all know from Scooby-Doo cartoons, right? <laughs> Doomed is bad, fatal, <laughs> deadly, you know? Yeah. Remember when we read in the doctor's beginning writing back on XXVII, 27, go back. Go back a couple pages. Okay. So here's how it's written, and then let's change it into terms that I can understand. We doctors have realized for a long time, are you guys there in that paragraph? That some form of moral psychology was in urgent importance to alcoholics, but its application presented difficulties beyond our conception. What of our ultra-modern ultra standards, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic mm -hmm. knowledge. So me, I don't understand that paragraph. We if I change some of the wording in it, the words like, we doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology, so moral spiritual experience, a truthful one, was in urgent importance to alcoholics. But its application presented difficulties beyond our conception, so the doctor's saying we can't help. Bless you. What of our ultra-modern standards are, meaning the doctor, scientific approach to everything, we, doctors, are perhaps not well equipped to apply powers of good, meaning God. Mm. We're not equipped to do that. You're gonna have to find one on your own. Mm. That lie outside our synthetic, synthetic knowledge, our organic knowledge. Man-made, yeah. not organic, inorganic. Yeah, inorganic. Yeah. So there's a daily reflection a couple days ago that talked about our, the way we get to God and that God works through people, right? So it can be as simple, I can't overcomplicate it. It can be as simple as reaching out to somebody who has recovered, somebody I know that has changed your life around. That is, that, that's a simple way for me to connect with God. And obviously there has to be more action after that simple phone call. But you know, a lot of people, you hear a lot of people say they drop to their knees and say, God, please help me, and boom, they were relieved. To me, it was a phone call that somebody I knew changed their life by, by working this. Followed a few simple rules. Mm -hmm. All right, so we're just told that we're doomed. What is the solution? Well, thank you. <laughs> Perhaps I can best answer this by relating one of my experiences. So the experience that he's gonna share here is, uh, the guy's name is Hank Parkhurst. Mm -hmm. So his story is in, uh, in the first edition of our big book, and it's the second story. It's on page 194, if anybody's got a first edition laying around. The, the Unbeliever? Yeah, The Unbeliever. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, couldn't have read my hand. Just so we know who we're talking about here. And I think he was AA number four? I don't know that. I have that yeah. note, okay. I, so I'm assuming that's right, but could be wrong. About one year prior to this experience, a man was brought in to be treated for chronic alcoholism. He had but partially recovered from a gastric hemorrhage. Wow and seemed to be a case of pathological mental deterioration. So physically and mentally, he's just almost dead. Like what might have brought up. This is how they showed up. He'd lost everything worthwhile in life and was only living, one might say, to drink. He frankly admitted and believed that there was, for him, there was no hope. So that's a good place for me. When I came in, I was hopeless. Then we can get on with the work. Sort of sounds like step one. Mm -hmm. yep. Otherwise, prior to that, step zero, right? right? 
If I can't concede to my innermost self, I'm an alcoholic. I'm on step zero. Following the elimination of alcohol, there was found to be no permanent brain injury. He accepted the plan outlined in this book. That's the rest of the steps, right? Two through 12. One year later, he called to see me, and I experienced a very strange sensation. I knew the man by name and partly recognized his features, but there all resemblance ended. From a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. I talked with him for some time, but was not able to bring myself to feel that I had known him before. Higher psychic change, maybe? Mm. To me, he was a stranger, and so he left me. A long time has passed with no return to alcohol. So this is kind of like relates to when Bill, to an extent, when Abby came to see him. He, mm -hmm. of course, knew that was his uh, school friend he went to school with. But he had this starry-eyed look in his eyes, Abby did, when he came to Bill's table. He looked totally different. It's really amazing what our bodies, how they heal themselves. Here, this guy is on death's freaking door, and a year later, the doctor can hardly recognize him. And then he points out there that I knew the man by name and partly recognized his features, but all their, but their all resembles ended. From a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. And then here's the important part. I talked to him for some time, but was not able to bring myself to feel that I had known him before. I've had an experience with guys I had not seen in a long, long time that I sponsored and moved out of the state. And when they left there, like this trembling wreck guy, and then they come back and they, hey, I'm coming back into town. I honestly didn't even recognize the guy. He had got so well, you know, physically, mentally, and totally spiritually. Like, so, he had a glow about him. You know, it's so important to have that eye-to-eye -eye mm. contact. It's, it's so vital that I have that with, with everyone here. We see this in the rooms. Mm -hmm. We see this all the time, mm -hmm. right? I had a little tiny experience of this myself. I went to see my doctor six or eight months sober, something like that. I knew him really well. He was a colleague, colleague of my mom's. He looked at me and he's like, what's different about you? He's like, do you lose weight? He's, mm -hmm. He looks, he's like, eh, maybe five pounds or something. He's like, something, something. He's like, you look different. And I'm like, I've been in recovery for whatever it was, six months, eight months. He's like, ah, it's like, that'll do it. I had no clue, right? And I don't know, if, did I really look different? Maybe I wasn't scowling. Maybe my color was better. I don't know, you know, but he spotted it. Like, I had that experience. It was so cool. So I'm going to ask a question, David. Do you know, is he the guy who um, wrote a lot of two employers? Yes. Yes. That's nice. And, and his, his story is, is, yeah. is not good. You no. know, and if you read, and at the risk of jumping ahead, you want to re stop read, <laughs> you read the first two paragraphs of two employers, you're going to read about death, you're going to read about people jumping out yeah. of windows, yeah. Oh, yeah. and you're going to see the, the, the consequences, of, you're going to see the conclusion of this disease. Many pursue it into the gates of, and you know the rest. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I, I had the privilege of sitting on a, a panel at a um, big book conference one time with um, Chrissy and John Ryan and, and our chapter was two employers so I did a really good history study on nice. this guy and um, you know what he eventually did drink again and, and he passed from this disease Ooh. and um, 
but he's got a story that goes like this, you know, like the, I, I can't even recognize this guy. He's brand new. He becomes a big shot and then he goes here and then he comes back. He has a, another little um, company which employs alcoholics and, and it's an interesting story. And we'll get there. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, thanks, Mark. And, that, and that's a really important po point because if something doesn't happen for me here, I don't give a crap how many 24 hours I have. And that's really the truth. Something must happen for me. I must be able to create my uh, entire life. These steps are designed to get me to God to do that. Something must happen or I'm picking up again. I mean, I've seen, I, my first year sober, I went to Thanksgiving at a, a club of, at my in-law's house for Thanksgiving and I had made a commitment to go to a meeting out of town when I was uh, at Thanksgiving dinner and I told everybody goodbye, nobody seemed to care that I was leaving. <laughs> and I went to this club and a guy had 20 years went back out because something wasn't happening in his life. He wasn't experiencing this, this internal change in his life, this entire psychic change, and he drank again. I didn't know that at the time, but I was freaked out. Like, how can someone after 20 years of sobriety? So something has to happen for me, or I'm drinking again. I'm not immune to this. I'm not cured. What, for me, recovered means that I recovered my spirit, I recovered my soul. I don't have the obsession or the allergy any longer because I don't drink. But I'm not cured, which means my life is still unmanageable to some extent. Because I have a daily repeat contingent upon the maintenance of my spiritual condition. That is something that I always, these steps, the disciplines of 10 and 11, allow me to stay connected to the power of my life. We'll go back and we talk about that line. The only relief we have is to suggest entire abstinence. Exactly. That does not mean we are cured. It does not mean that. Mm -hmm. That's the doctor's suggestion. Don't drink. We can go ahead. I was say, we can get spiritually fit. We're, that's what we're studying here. When we're spiritually fit, the obsession doesn't exist. So we can take care of those two things with this work and continued work. The physical part's always there, but it doesn't get activated if I don't pick up a drink. It's real simple. But that's the end. Just like when somebody relapses or David says resumes <laughs> drinking, the last thing that happens is picking up the drink. Tell me about all the arguments that you had with your significant other in the weeks leading up to it. Tell me about how you're ducking out of work early or charging stuff to the company for personal items. Tell me about the person you yelled at in traffic. All those things, all those signs. And if I'm doing my, well, let's say if I'm doing my 10 step inventory, I ought to see it coming. But we'll get to that in 30 weeks. So if I, if, if I have times of abstinence, I'll get some stuff back, right? I'll mm -hmm. get the mama or the daddy. I'll get the white picket fence possibly. I'll get the hoopty. I'll get all these little things. But if something doesn't change for me internally, which again, this is a, a disease internal. I, if the solution isn't internal, if it's external, I'm going to drink again if I'm a real alcoholic. Jamie, can you look up hoopty? <laughs> <laughs> Let's power through. We got like three paragraphs okay. here. Let's, cause let's finish up the chat. Okay. Uh, you guys don't know what a hoopty is? <laughs> it didn't grow up in the hood? <laughs> when, I need in the a, 80s? when I need a mental uplift, I often think of another case, and this case is Fritz M., who wrote the story, Our Southern Friend. So his whole name is John Henry Fitzhugh. Oh, thank you. Uh, the patient had made his own diagnosis. Sound like step one again? Mm-hmm. Yep. And deciding his situation hopeless, 
had hidden in a deserted barn determined to die. He was rescued by a searching party and in desperate condition brought to me. So that searching party was Bill Wilson and the Oxford uh, group, mm. or the drunk squad, they called them. That's what they did. They went out and freaking awesome. lassoed you up and brought you to, and sobered you up with a lot of coffee and shit. Wow. And uh, other stuff that Dr. Bob came up with. Sauerkraut. Sauerkraut yeah. and stuff like that. I've heard all kinds of different things. K.O. syrup. Yeah, something like that, yeah. <laughs> something sweet and nasty. Yeah. Yeah, vitamins. Following his physical rehabilitation, he had a talk with me in which he frankly stated he thought the treatment a waste of effort. Unless I could assure him, which no one ever had, that in the future he would have the willpower to resist the impulse to drink. His alcoholic problem was so complex and his depression so great that we felt his only hope would be through what was then called moral psychology. And we doubted if even that would have, would have any effect. So Dr. Silkworth was like, uh-huh. However, he did become sold on the ideas contained in this book. He has not had a drink for a great many years. I see him now and then, and he is as fine a specimen of manhood as one could wish to meet. I earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through. And though perhaps he came to scoff, he may remain to pray. William D. Silkworth, MD. And, and guys, we'll still be around for the scoffers. It's all right. People change their tune. We were in Gateway well, a year ago or something like that, or was, we were still doing Zoom then. And this one guy was so furious that we kept talking about God, and he went off on me and David at the end of it, and we're just like... Okay. You know, and we came back the next week, and the guys were also apologetic, apologetic. Oh, we're sorry he said this. And we're like, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. You never know when he's going to change his mind when he's been beaten down enough. And all of a sudden, maybe trying this God thing doesn't sound like such a bad idea. And I'm hopeless enough. I'll do anything. I make jokes all the time. What could this program be? I have to swallow a pound of broken glass. Right? I have to sleep on hot coals. There could be all sorts of crazy things. I have to murder a stranger in an alley. If someone said you murder a stranger in an alley and you're never going to drink again, I probably would have considered it. Instead, what do I have to do? Find God, clean house, help others. To, so to summarize one paragraph that I've written down, the doctor tells us once we put alcohol in our bodies, we break out in craving. He references the entire psychic change being our solution. And he admits he doesn't know much about the mind, but is an expert on the body. An expert. Mm -hmm. Worked for 50,000 patients. I mm -hmm. think he would be considered an expert. Mm -hmm. Here's a question. Did craving happen every time you drank? Not every time, but most of the time it did. Here's the real question. Were you in control when the craving would happen? Anybody ever brought to tears by the craving? Man, I sure as hell was. Like, I just wept like a baby because I just wanted to stop and couldn't. And depression is written in the big book 11 times, and we referenced it right there with uh, it's you. And a lot of us diagnosed with depression have a spiritual experience and all of a sudden aren't anymore. Doesn't mean some people still have it. Right? No shame in that. All of our brains are wired a little differently. 
But it's amazing how our brains straighten out once we get spiritually right. Straighten out physically and mentally. So we're down to like four or five minutes. Is this a good time for comments, questions? Yeah, anybody want to come up and make a comment? Jen, come on up. Come on up. Birthday girl. Yeah, congratulations, <laughs> Jen. So I'm glad tonight that you guys talked about um, the thinking and the actions with the unmanageability because being able to really stu study this and really understand that I also experienced all types of alcoholism in and out of the program for a long time and never armed with the truth about the doctor's opinion. You know, I knew that it couldn't stop once I started. But for, for a long time, here's the thing. My life is still unmanageable. I haven't had a drink in a long time. But without the spiritual piece of this, that's kind of why I, I opted to talk about that tonight. Just to know a little bit more historically, because I can appreciate this and need to be reminded of this quite often because I'm not cured. So armed with the truth of this and knowing that the unmanageability part of step one, you know, means that my thinking and actions, um, I need to turn those over, over to something greater than me because I still reside in control and when I'm in control, you know, it just took, it took me back to my relapse. And I, I remember just, you know, the illusion of what that was, you know, and I, oh, I'm gonna control it. I've been in Alcoholics Anonymous for 18 months and I've got this. Mm. And I remember how elusive it was in the power of craving and yet had no reality and understanding of what was happening to me whatsoever. And that night, I, I don't know, might've had three drinks because I was in a, watch it, Sean, I'll show you. And in four months, after having that 18 month period, not working on myself, not looking for the solution, not trying to understand that I was suffering from the disease of alcoholism, um, I got sicker. And for me, 10 years into the making of what brought me into the doors of this church 13 years ago, I, four months, I, I was worse in four months before I had to make a decision to do something about this. And so by being able to continuously study and understand, it just, for me, it, it helps. And it helps so much hearing you guys talking about, and I think it's important for people new to the program as well as anyone who's had, a, it's a number, it doesn't matter. We only have 24 hours a day, you know what I mean? If that makes sense to anyone here tonight. Um, but I still have this disease. It's very alive and well. It's just, you know, waiting for me. But I need to be reminded that I still have unmanageability, that I need something greater than myself. So there's a lot of layers to that. So I thank you guys for talking about that and bringing that um, to everybody tonight. Cool. 
Thanks, John. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks, so, Jennifer. So, so real quick, though, so David brings this up a lot, and it's really important. Why didn't I ever hear that message in a meeting about what I have, this craving, obsession, and, and spiritual malady? Bill Wilson writes in the 1966 grapevine, freedom from alcohol, the teaching and practice of the 12 steps is the sole purpose of the group. If we do not stick to this cardinal principle, we will collapse, and if we collapse, we can't help anyone. What are we supposed to be talking about in meetings? Involve steps. Guys, right. carry this message, what we're studying together here, into the other meetings, please. We need to talk about all that other junk. Don't get me wrong. That's what I do on Fridays at 2 o'clock at my sponsor's house. Oh, poor, <laughs> poor Judd. <laughs> Not here. <laughs> poor Judd. Poor Judd. <laughs> but things have gotten better, I hope. <laughs> I don't get to be the judge of that. No dead cat stories in a meeting, please. Let's pray it out. Page uh, 63, second paragraph, guys. We're going to do the third step prayer. That's what we close this meeting with. So please join us. I'm supposed to read that. Damn him. God, God, God I offer I myself, myself to thee to build with me and, and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Bye, guys. Thank you. See you later. Adios.